You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Mark Brownstein, president and CEO of the Brownstein Group, a parent company including Brownstein Advertising, Red Thread Public Relations, and Nucleus Digital, a digital marketing agency. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, tell us a little bit more about the Brownstein Group. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Yeah, so Brownstein has been around for nearly 60 years, and we help brands establish brand longevity to make them unstoppable. Brownstein's history of thinking boldly and acting bravely has consistently delivered brilliant results for our clients. Crystal clear and right there under about 30 seconds. That's very impressive. Not everybody can do that. So what's your favorite part of your job and why? Favorite part of my job is winning. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty darn relatable. Tell me what winning looks like in your world. Love to win. I hate to lose. I'm super competitive. In our business, you're always pursuing new opportunities, whether it's with a current client or a future one. And we're in the idea business. So you come up with an idea and that's, ideas are very subjective. I may love an idea and I love an idea so much and I'm selling it to a client or a future client and I want them to love it just as much. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But when they do and when you get the phone call, they're saying, yeah, we love your ideas. We love your agency and we want to hire you guys. That's the best feeling. That's just such a, it's such a great high. It really is the best part of my job. And it makes sense when, especially of course with branding, but with anybody out there, the whole point of trying to get buy into an idea you've put, whether it's an analysis and a projection for a step to move forward, what to buy or what to sell, what to, where to go for your advertising or otherwise, you have an idea and you are if you've got the conviction that you're raising it to the decision makers up there, you want them to agree. Everybody wants to hear, yes, that's that's the best answer that anybody can ask for. So when you get that validation, it's just, there's nothing, there's no better feeling than that. Yeah. They're saying we're we're aligned in our thinking and, you know, and our ideas don't just come out of thin air. Oh, we had a, you know, we took a shower, went for a run and, and got this brainstorm. It's all based on data and research. Our ideas are informed. So when I'm sharing an idea with a client, it's it's because that client or that idea is solving a particular problem that we've identified with the client. And so it should resonate. And then again, when it does, it's a huge high. Yes. And I think one other thing that I can hear as you're telling is that you're not just sharing facts. You're actually excited about sharing what makes you excited. And I think that for ideas people in general, that that creative part, when you have those 
things that you're excited to tell your client about, as opposed to just, here's an idea that I think is good. I think you should listen to this idea. I've done the analysis and this is what makes most sense. It's, it's just a different, you know, people receive your energy and they use that as a filter that they're going to end up reflecting back to you before they hear the first word coming out of your mouth. So that's, it's, it's almost contagious. Actually, it's not almost contagious. Let me take that back. It is contagious, the energy that you use to deliver that message. So when your passion comes through, I think that's what makes you unstoppable in many ways. Well, thank you. I, I mean, I have never in my career, I won't share an idea with a client that I don't believe in. I, I can't do it. So if I don't have an idea that I don't really believe in, I'll just ask for more time until I do. Yes, so important if you're not passionate about it. And that comes through one way or another. I think when you don't believe in what you're saying or when there is indifference, people can smell that too. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, they have to look in your eyes and see in your body language that every, every part of you believes that this is the right opportunity and the right idea for your client. They're buying into you. They're buying into the idea. And yeah, you have to be able to sell it. And that word sell, a lot of people, I think, are, are scared of it because, it, you know, it feels icky or whatever if you're not a quote unquote salesperson. But we're all salespeople and we have an idea that we want someone to buy into, which, as you very well stated, that means they have to buy into us. And that's an important connection, not just to the idea, but to you as the person who can execute the idea, make it happen. So it's not just a vision. It's going to turn into reality and get those results. Now, in doing all this, what's one of the biggest issues for you nowadays? And how do you have to adjust your approach when you're talking to different stakeholder groups about that same thing? The challenges of the hybrid working model for a, a creative shop where a lot of collaboration happens on a daily basis is a big issue today. And it's a big issue for me. When you're in the idea business and you're the inspiration business, how do you do that on Zoom or Teams? How do you do that virtually? We are doing it, is the answer. We're doing it well. But for how long can we keep doing it well? And I always believe that our culture inspires our teams. People tell me year after year, what's special about, about Brownstein is that your culture is unique. And it's in, it's a, there's a great energy there. There's a comfort level there. And there's, you feel the standards, the high standards there. And people like to just kick around ideas in a room see each other, laugh, read, learn, and the ideas happen. When you do that on Zoom, you can try to recreate that. And again, we've, we've done it. My, con my thought is, and my concern is, what about two years from now? Are we still doing it? And how does our culture, which will probably not continue to grow and evolve because we're virtual, how does that help the brainstorm and idea generation process? So one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to move in 2023 to getting together on a periodic basis when there's a purpose for getting together. So teams will get together, sometimes maybe quarterly, our whole agency will get together. But I want to make sure that we are creating 
to find opportunities for our whole agency to see each other certain times and for our like our creative team, for example, and or our account management team or our public relations team or our digital marketing team to come together when they need to come together, when they need to see each other so that we will continue to evolve what I believe is our our secret sauce. And our secret sauce is our, our people who live our values, which creates our culture. And our culture informs great thinking. And who are the different groups that you need to message this to? And what are they, what are they differentially concerned about in this space? Well, the, uh, the internal group are my leadership team and our employees. So uh, leadership team, I could be more candid with. And we can have a lively debate about the pros and cons of working virtually. And when you're communicating that to your, to your employees, you have to be more careful because their thoughts on working remotely versus in the office are very polarizing and they keep changing. We've done a lot of polls with our employees over the last couple of years. And attitudes continue to shift. Sometimes some age groups want to be in the office and they'll say that you could, you could pull them a few months later and know they're comfortable at home and vice versa. And you really can't point to any particular age group with your employees. The 20 and 30 somethings sometimes feel one way. The, the 40 somethings can feel a different way and, and, and so on and so forth. The 50 somethings feel a different way. So your message to them, I have to deliver a message that says that I hear you, but here's what we're going to do. And that's why I say we're going to come together at certain times next year. But when we come together, there's going to be a purpose behind coming together. We're not going to ask you to come together and then you're going to sit in your office and you could have been on a Zoom at home. That doesn't make any sense. We're going to come together when the sparks are going to fly. So the message to the your employees has to be different and a little more thoughtful than the message to your your leadership. And then there's and then there's our clients. And our clients want to make sure that they're getting good value for the fees that they're paying the agency. So my, my clients, when I speak to them about it, I tell them that what we measure is the high quality of the ideas. We make sure that our ideas remain strong. We make sure that our service, service remains thoughtful and, and attentive. It's something we're looking at all the time and that we are going to be back in the office periodically starting in, in, midway through the year on 2023. And you know what? Our, our clients are no different. They, they're, they're dealing with... They're dealing with the exact same things everybody else. Sure. You can't make everybody happy on this one. Everybody's got an opinion and it's never going to be completely uniform. Yeah. I mean, maybe aside from like Elon Musk, who's demanded that everyone comes back five days a week. I haven't met too many CEOs who have demanded the same thing or have been successful at doing that. Right. They can demand it, but where it goes from there is a whole different ballgame. <laughs> now, in all the years that you've been, and you've built 
at least four companies at this point, three under the, the main parent here. Who's the toughest audience that you ever had to get through to? I mean, there were, there was one client. I don't want to name the client, a, a large company that had been doing business with us for years. And I was out to lunch with the CEO and I said something about PR and he says, Oh, you have public relations too. And I'm like, Oh my God. I thought, <laughs> I thought that to myself. Yes. And it kind of, I couldn't believe that we haven't done a good enough job of conveying all the services that we have. So, and I was starting to hear that more and more, which led me to creating a separate brand for our public relations company. It used to be Brownstein Group was an advertising and public relations company, mm. but the public relations kind of got lost in the, in, in the mix. So now it's Brownstein Advertising, Red Thread Public Relations. It has its own identity, and I don't want to hear anymore that we, oh you have you have a public relations company. So and we're doing you know we're doing a very focused and proactive job of promoting Red Thread to make sure that all future clients are well aware of the uh, integrated services that we offer. Isn't it interesting how I think it's something everybody can relate to is that we can believe that we have conveyed an idea crystal clearly and multiple times over that we, we don't know how. And then we'll be talking with someone and they'll go, oh, so you mean you do this or we should do that or whatever it is. And you're going, did you really just come to that conclusion by yourself? Was, were you not here for the past, oh, I don't know, like 45 minutes that I've been talking about that or the last six months that we've been on this project or the last five years we've been working together? How many times have I said this and now suddenly? So it's it's so funny to hear that I think everybody out there should be nodding their head rather vehemently going, yes, okay, good. Thank you, Mark. It's not just me. You, If you of all people and you're a communications expert deal with that too, then I feel absolved that it's it's not just me. It's a universal challenge. What is it about the the fact that sometimes we we think we've said it clearly, so quantitatively and qualitatively effectively, and uh, clearly something got lost in the process. So we we all have that. The illusion of being heard. Yes. Oh, that's a beautiful phrase. The illusion of being heard. Yes, and it, the all the things that we have illusions of in our minds, you know, along with the those moments when we say that sounded better in my head before, after something comes out of our mouths, and that's. The illusion of what it was supposed to sound like can often be very different from what actually comes out. Or we see ourselves on the video two minutes later and we think, that is that really what I looked like? Is that really what I sounded like in my head? It went differently. That's why I often use visuals in communicating because people remember what they see more than what they hear. Yes. Yes. Seeing is believing in many, many ways and it's so powerful. That's when we look at the verbal, vocal, visual alignment that when it's out of alignment, people believe what your body language sees, seems to be conveying more so than whatever your words have claimed. And it all, you're proving right now, it all sort of comes full circle. Right. But I love that expression, the illusion of being heard. <laughs> that, that's great. So everybody needs to remember that out there. Now, when the, the first time that you went from being an individual contributor to leading a team, what's an important lesson you learned in the process? What I learned is that you have to be a leader and a leader is someone that has followers 
What did that mean to you when you first took over that role? It meant that I had to define a vision of where we're going. I had to listen to my team carefully and then develop that vision and that, that point of view. And it's a, it was a constant rolling process in leadership of listening and leading and listening and leading and then making sure that part of leadership is defining where you want people to go and making sure that they go there and accomplish what you want them to accomplish. So accountability is a huge part of it. And I really believe that people want to be held accountable. So having clear communications about what is expected, how we're going to get there, and then defining an inspiring way to get there. In my experience, it's a really important approach to um, being a successful leader. That clearly articulated vision, I think, is something that uh, often we struggle with. We know what we think needs to happen to get someplace that we don't necessarily tell people. We're not able to articulate the vision verbally as clearly as we see it. And that's a real art for a lot of people to figure out, for most of us, frankly. Yeah. And, And then your behaviors have to mirror your words. So you have to follow through on things. If they see that you're saying something and not doing something, you're going to lack credibility and no one's going to want to follow. Then you're not going to get anything done. So, so you have to be, you have to be credible in that role. Yes. And that alignment again, the what you say and the how you say it all helps people with that perception of credibility. Cause like anything else, it's in the eye or the ears of the listener, right? Cause you can think you can try to be credible, but in the end, it's going to be the listener who's going to be the judge. Well, I think it's what you say. It's how you say. How you say it, and it's what you do. Yes, words and actions need to align as well. Now, what about let's let's take this opportunity, Mark, to levy a little challenge to our audience. Okay. This is a good opportunity to throw in the listener twenty four hour influence challenge, where you will have a chance now to speak directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within twenty four hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Why don't you identify like the top three brands whose products you use every day and engage with them on social media in some way? What might that look like? Well, let's say you're a big fan of Nike, right? You go on on Twitter or, or Instagram, or you could hit their website. And engage with them and comment on some of the products. And you're going to find that companies, brands, love when their consumers engage with them. And don't be intentionally negative. Be thoughtful. And you're going to find that you can establish a nice dialogue with those brands. And good things happen from that. You're going to get sent exclusive offers at times. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna capture the data on you, but they're gonna do it in a way that you know that benefits you, so that they'll they'll make you more aware of new product offerings and special deals and things like that. Interesting. Okay, so people actually read those posts when you put them up there. They get your top three brands: clothing, cars, cosmetics, something that doesn't start with C. <laughs> but any of those items are beyond. Okay. Yeah, because it's an ongoing focus group for these companies. They want to know what their customers are thinking and feeling 
on a real-time basis. So when you start to engage with, with your favorite brands, they are watching and they are monitoring. Interesting. Okay. Sounds good. You're giving them a gift. And then who knows what kind of gift they'll give you in return. They may actually tell them what you want. You might get a gift in return. Beautiful. Now, what's a communications-related mistake that you've made? Uh, lots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say that I told you earlier that I love to win, and it's the best part of my job. Sure. I'd say when we don't win, I don't react well. And I've been told that. Okay. Like, I know I don't react well because who wants to lose? But I've been told by my leadership team that my reaction and my body language and my words can be demoralizing at times. Mm. And so I've been working on improving my reaction when, when <laughs> now I don't want to condone losing. I don't want my team to think it's okay when we lose, but I'm trying to just interpret it better and use some of the learnings to coach my team and it motivate them to learn from it and do better next time. Can you share an example of a, a way that you have learned to address those frustrations that is more supportive of future wins as opposed to being demoralizing? It's better to address it in X way or you've learned two certain phrases or waiting until you're less, you know, till tempers simmer a bit. Well, I'll just say, you know, that sucks. It's, it's unfortunate. What's the feedback that we got from the company? Why they didn't choose us? Is there a specific reason? And if there isn't a specific reason, I ask my team to go and ask them and get that data. Let's learn from it. If we're not, we're not going to win, we're not going to get the opportunity to represent that brand, then I want to know why. I want to know specifics because if we can't optimize, if we can't learn, if we can't improve, then we've missed an opportunity. Absolutely. So learning from the mistakes, whatever they were. And if it wasn't a mistake, just maybe somebody did it better. They heard something, they had an idea that never occurred to us, but figure it out one way or another. What was nothing else? Learn from the mistakes. That's a great productive approach to figuring out and maybe just finding a different word to say than lose. That can also help for different groups. Of course, you know, you've got whatever language works for your team, but for everybody else out there, Sometimes that's those little details can make a difference to the the use the word demoralizing, but to the morale of an organization. You just never know. Got to figure out what works for each individual team. Yeah, and there's been times when we'll get that feedback, and we'll realize, and this this goes back to being heard that maybe we didn't clearly articulate our ideas and our presentation as effectively as we could have because. They'll say, well, we wish you were, you spent more time solving this problem versus that. And, and then we'll, we're like, well, wait, our whole presentation was about solving that. So why didn't they feel that? Why didn't they receive that, the impact of our thinking and of our recommendations? So we'll take that and we'll interpret that and improve that next time to make sure that what we think that we're conveying is 100% what we're 
articulating next time. Sometimes it's what I call over-communicating. I don't think you can over-communicate too much. Well, certainly not if the other person hasn't quite gotten what you're, what you're trying to convey, that, that's for sure. It all sort of boils down to the, that gap between what I think I say and what you think you hear. Well, think, think about our industry. How many times do you have to see a TV commercial in order to remember it and remember the message and then link the message to the brand? That last step is the biggest, isn't it? Because there's plenty of advertisements I remember from 20, 30 years ago, and the jingles are in my head, the characters in my head. Couldn't tell you what they were selling. Right. So you need to see it a lot, right? Sure. So in our presentations, we need to say it a lot. Mm. You can't say it once or twice. I think you just have to have a thread there along the way. And if there's a certain point of view that we want to articulate and we want to make sure is conveyed, make sure that we're telling it and telling it again and again and again, maybe in different ways, but that it's getting through so that these companies are seeing four or six agencies in a two or three day span and they can forget which agency stood for what. So you really have to hammer that home. Yes. And the, that repetition of core messaging and themes and things, it's what I've often referred to as having those tweetable and repeatable sound bites, something that's super clean, super tight, easy to understand, easy to remember, and easy to repeat. They need to be able to go and evangelize that message and discuss it with each other and repeat what they've heard you say, rather than just paraphrasing in some way that may or may not accurately reflect what we were trying to convey in the first place. So it sounds like you've got the master, you're the master of the tweetable and repeatable sound bites in when you're doing those pitches for your clients. Laura, people are distracted today, right? And, they, and they're overloaded with data and messages because there's just a lot of platforms to, to be on, whether it's social media, text messages are coming in, emails are coming in, websites that you're hitting, various apps that you may be on. And then you have the, your daily human interaction. There's a lot coming, a lot of content coming at you. It's easy to forget where you heard what from and what stands out at the end of a day. It can be exhausting. So you really have to make sure that if you want to get a message through to somebody, you have to do it in a highly intrusive and repeatable way. It is amazing what it takes to get people's attention to much less to sustain it. That's for sure. Now, what about an approach that you've used to address an accountability issue with someone on your team? Yeah, I mean, I would just say you have to, you just have to be candid with, with people. If you want someone to be accountable for something, be clear about what your expectations are. Be clear on when you want them to do something by, accomplish something by, and then make sure you circle back with it. Again, it, it, you, you see there's a thread through this whole conversation. Accountability is about setting a goal, setting an expectation with that goal, putting a timeline against it circling back and checking in against it and making sure that it's accomplished at a high level. So if people are left unchecked with something, standards will go down, quality of work will go down. And those who are just self-starters and hard workers and self-starters who are doing things at a high level, who don't have to be checked in on as often, It'll be demoralizing for those. So you want to make sure that if you're going to hold your team accountable, it has to be done across the board 
in a consistent manner. Absolutely. And when people are showing these different leadership attributes for you, if someone wanted to move up, someone in your organization wanted to move up into a more senior leadership role, aside from their technical expertise, what's one skill they'd have to demonstrate for you and why? In our business, once you get into a leadership role, it's really important that you're responsible more for for growth of the agency. So I expect leaders to join boards, our, our leaders to be out in the marketplace, developing relationships. We are in the relationship business. And, re, you know, if, if you're now in a leadership role, you have a new title. You have a title that allow you to, to connect to someone on the client side with a peer title. And I expect you to be able to bring in some, what I call whales, some big opportunities to the agency that we could hopefully win. So leaders are expected to help grow the agency by bringing, by developing relationships at a high level and bringing in opportunities. Absolutely big part of leadership in the agency business and the the professional services business, I would imagine as well, whether you're in a law firm, an accounting firm, or an advertising public relations firm. I would imagine that this is something that for many professionals who are the service providers in one way, shape, or form, you go into that area because you're good at providing the service. And many people look at that rainmaking of sorts as being a very different sale, uh, skill set, as, as being more the sales, as being more the marketing, as being more, uh, you know, and that's that can strike fear in the hearts of many. That whole idea of, well, I don't do sales. I'm not a salesperson. I want to do the artistic creation. I want to do the accounting. I want to be the attorney. I want to be the coach. And yet, you know, there is that shift. You want to take on that leadership role. You're going to be responsible for the development of the company, not just the execution of the, of the tasks within the company. Do you find people balk at that sometimes? Yeah, they, they do. But that's how you'll know if you have the right leader. <laughs> Clear and simple. Clear and simple. I've had people say to me over, over the years, that's not part of my strengths. It's not part of my skill sets. But it has to, if you're going to be a leader, it has to be something that you, a skill that you develop. And I think that's part of growth and leadership overall is that with each new step, there should be some new challenge that's not necessarily in your immediate strengths wheelhouse. But the question then becomes, are you willing to learn? Because if you know that this role requires that, will you do it? Will you step up? Will you step out of your comfort zone? Will you get the assistance you need, the coaching, the training, the mentoring, whatever it is, to be able to own that new responsibility and get good at that new task it, it, or that new skill set, whatever it happens to be, to, to say to somebody, well, that's not me. Okay, well, are you willing to expand that identity? And if not, you're telling us that this is a limitation that you are unwilling and or unable to overcome. Well, then thank you very much for taking yourself out of the gene pool. You're great where you are and that's where you belong. Exactly. It's exactly right. There's there's leaders and there's followers, right? So you're going to be in the middle of the pack. You're going to be right, you know, soldiers, generals. You're going to remain a soldier. You'll you'll be you'll be important to the company, but you're not you're not going to be at the at the top of the company. You're not you're not going to be that general. You know, because certain people just want finite amount of responsibility. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, right? Know where your strengths are. Know what makes you happy. There's a lot of people who don't want to own their own business because they don't want all that stuff that comes along with it. If you're happy doing the job that you're educated, trained, experienced in doing, and you don't want all the other stuff, but I think that's one of the biggest mistakes. Tell me, Mark, if you agree with this. One of the biggest mistakes 
people often make is that they're in a job, whether it's doctor, lawyer, coach, you know, advertising, whatever it happens to be. And you think, you know, I'm tired of working for these big companies. I want to do it for myself. And they go into business for themselves. And half the reason, what is it, 90% of all businesses fail within the first year is because that person who's actually an artist at whatever they do, don't realize that going into business for yourself means three quarters of your time or more is going to be spent doing everything else except for the thing that you want to do because you have to run the business and drum up the business and do all those kinds of things. It's kind of a rude awakening. Is that something that you've perceived as well? Oh, absolutely. Leadership is hard. That's why there aren't many who do it. Companies couldn't succeed if it was, if it was all leaders. So it's hard. It's stressful. It's lonely. It's all the things that you hear and read about over the years. But it's also rewarding. You know, if you're ready for it, if you feel that you have the skill sets to lead, and if you want to make a bigger impact in an organization, then then maybe it's right for you. But if you just you're just comfortable doing what you're really good at, and that's all you want to do, that's fine too. Own that. That's own it. There's nothing wrong with that. Just admit it to yourself and others. Right. Be an expert in what you do. Be the best at it. That's fine. You don't have to run the company. There's plenty of ways for you to be valuable in the company. Just do your do your role, do it well, and you can thrive and, and be happy every day. Wake up excited to, to get to work and do what you're really good at. 100%. Be comfortable where you are and own that space. Mark, this has been a great conversation. How can people learn more about you and the Brownstein Group? Well, they can go to our website at brownsteingroup.com. They can email me at mark, M-A-R-C, at brownsteingroup.com. They can go to our social channels, Brownstein Group, at Red Thread Public Relations, Nucleus Digital. We're on all the social platforms. We're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn, TikTok, Facebook. So you can hit all our social platforms. We have a blog and some great articles on our, our website. So there's a lot of ways to learn about Brownstein Group. You can even go to YouTube and look up some of our TV commercials and online video for some of our clients. It's pretty entertaining. That sounds like a lot of fun. All right, there's your second challenge. Everybody go check out those videos as well. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. Yeah, pleasure. It's fun. And everybody else out there, as usual, thank you for joining in. If it's your first time, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, and all the other usual suspects so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. 
The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.